0: This week, we're going to continue our series on the parables that Jesus told. Parables are often referred to, you've probably heard this if you've been in church for a while, the parables are referred to as earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And even though they seem to be simple stories that contain everyday scenes and items, there's a deeper message contained within them a message that Jesus intends for those who are seeking him and listening to him, whose hearts are open to him. Today we'll look at the parable of the sower. This is a well-known one and it's a bit unusual because Jesus doesn't just tell the parable, he gives the explanation of it. Of all the parables that Jesus told, and he told a lot of parables, there are only three where he does this, where he actually explains what the parable means. And that was obviously very useful for the people at the time and very useful for us. The parable of the sower is the first recorded parable that Jesus told. The disciples' reaction suggests that this was a new way of teaching that Jesus was doing because they asked Jesus after he tells it, what does it mean? Why is he speaking to the people like this? He tells the disciples that he will make it clear to them but that the meaning will be hidden from those who reject him, those whose hearts are closed to him, who have already made up their mind about him and don't want to listen. This parable is found in all of the three synoptic gospels. That's the first three gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And today we're going to look at the account in Matthew's gospel. Matthew 13. "'That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. "'Such a loud, large crowd gathered around him "'that he got into a boat and sat in it "'while all the people stood on the shore. "'Then he told them many things in parables, saying, "'A farmer went out to sow his seed. "'As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, "'and the birds came and ate it up. "'Some fell on rocky places.' where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. A large crowd has come to hear Jesus speak so loud that he actually has to get into a boat and go out on the water so that he can be seen and heard. Now, in that crowd, there would have been a mixture of people, some who were eager to hear and to receive from Jesus, others who were just curious. They'd heard about Jesus and they just wanted to check him out, see what he was like. Others that wanted to catch him out, that wanted to dispute with him. And others probably dragged there by family members and they didn't really want to be there in the first place, but they didn't have any choice. Probably the mixture of people that Jesus was referring to when he spoke of the different soils. He describes a scene familiar to them, a farmer sowing seed so he can raise a harvest. The farmer's gone out into his fields. He's already prepared the soil, so it's ready for the seed to be sown. And he goes out with the seed in a bag over his shoulder and as he walks along the rows he grabs out handfuls of seeds and scatters it on the ground. It wasn't done carelessly, he didn't just throw it up into the air and hope it would land somewhere. He was trying to throw it into these rows of good soil that had been prepared but as you know when you scatter something it doesn't always go where you want it to and so some of the seed would fall on areas, other areas not the areas where it was meant to in this story, Jesus talks at landing on four different types of soil. The first is the paths that went through the fields. These fields weren't carefully separated by fences and so on like fields today. Rather, they were broken up by paths, just dirt tracks that marked out the boundaries and that people would walk on so the ground becomes hard and compacted. Any seed that landed onto those paths wasn't going to do much good. The ground was too hard for it to grow, it couldn't take root in the ground, it was too hard for it even to make an impact. And also the birds were there as the farmer was sowing, waiting to pick up any seed that they could, so they would pick it up quickly, so it would be useless. The next lot of seed falls on rocky places. This is ground that was mostly rocks with only a thin layer of soil among them, or or just basically rocks. It could be rocks under the soil with this thin, thin layer of soil, or it could be just fields that had just heaps of rocks, so there was very little soil between the rocks. Sometimes when Greg and I have been out driving in the country, you'll go past various farms and so on, and occasionally we'll go f- past a field that has like lots of rocks in it, and we'll be like, oh yeah, we know what this farm is growing. Obviously he's growing rocks because he's doing a really good job of it. But This type of ground makes it hard for anything to grow there. I've tried to grow plants on this sort of ground. We had at our previous house an area that was like that. It was all very rocky and had a little bit of soil and mostly just rocks and so on and there wasn't much soil. And I tried growing various things. And every so often I'd get something to grow and it'd start growing up I think, yes, I've got it. Yes, this one will grow. And then after a short while, it doesn't it just dies, it just dies off because there just wasn't enough soil to actually, for the plant, to get a good root system going to actually prosper. The third type of ground that Jesus mentioned is one where there were weeds that choked everything else. You don't have to have done much gardening to know how well weeds grow. They're the one thing you can guarantee will grow. We had our backyard at our previous house was a bit like that. Instead of grass... It grew weeds really well. If you mowed it, it looked really good because you saw this green. But then as they grew up, you realised instead of grass, it was actually weeds. But weeds can withstand the most adverse conditions. They're incredible. Um, Every so often you'll see something that's been a popular plant being declared a noxious weed, and you're not meant to have any more because it just overtakes everything else. There's various ones, and they'll just... If you plant them, they just kill off anything else that's around and just overtake the whole area. And the seed that falls into this ground doesn't have much chance of growing into a good crop because the weeds were just crowded out. The last type of soil is that which is good. The seed's able to take root and to grow strongly, producing an abundant crop. It makes it so much easier to grow something if the soil is good. It's probably the first lesson in gardening is to actually check out what the soil is like and make sure that it is good. Sometimes you need to treat it, to add something to it or to whatever, aerate it, whatever, maybe give it a bit more water or whatever to make the soil good because if you do that, then what you plant should grow well. Now, if you were one of the crowd listening to Jesus, you may have been disappointed by what he's teaching. He's teaching. Maybe it's the first time you had an opportunity to actually go and hear him. Maybe other people have said, oh, you've got to come and hear Jesus. It's amazing what he teaches. He's not like the scribes and Pharisees. He teaches very differently. It's just amazing what he teaches. And you come along and you're expecting to hear these incredible wisdom, incredible life-changing words. And instead, you get a good story. But particularly if you were used to farming, you know how to grow things. You could be thinking, well, thanks, Captain Obvious. I knew that if I wanted to get a good harvest, I needed to plant the seed in good soil. Maybe you wouldn't be quite that rude, but you might be thinking, oh, well, this is time I'm not going to get back. I didn't need a lesson on how to grow my crops. And even the disciples questioned him in verse 10 as to why he talks like this. A quote from another preacher writing about this passage, Pastor Stillman. He says, why did Jesus speak in parables? Perhaps because his goal was not just to impart information, but to invite people into a relationship with him. And his style of teaching revealed people's hearts as either self-righteous and dismissive of him or eager to learn from him with childlike faith. We can see from what Jesus said in verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear referring to those who were open to receiving from him, that Jesus wanted people to hear more than mere words, more than, you know, instructions, but instead to open their hearts, hearts to spiritual truths, to words that would bring life, not just words that would bring information, but words that would bring life. Jesus gives the disciples the explanation in Matthew 13, in verses 18 to 23, he explains that the seed is the word of God that is trying to be planted in a person's heart, and he gives four types of responses to it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. And the deceitfulness of wealth choked the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. There are two points I want to draw from this parable today. The first involves our responsibility as people who share the seed, who tell others the message of the kingdom. Jesus told his followers to go and make disciples, and that applies to us still. Obviously, when we share the message of Christ to other people, there are going to be different reactions. There are people who, no matter what you say or do, are never going to believe. Their hearts are hardened like compacted ground. They are unable to receive the message and act on it. It seems like they're totally deaf to what you are saying. You feel like you might as well talk to the wall and you'd get a better response. When our grandchildren have been starting to talk, they'll come up to us and they'll tell us something really seriously And you can't understand a word of it. You can't even get one word or a couple of words even to get a context of what they're talking about. And they look at you with their expectant faces thinking that, of course, you've understood everything they've said and they're waiting for your response. And you're trying to somehow, you know, that's nice or really or whatever, because you can't understand anything they're saying. But the thing is, for people who have hardened hearts, it's like that with them when we tell them about Jesus. It's like they just cannot understand the word... The words we say don't make sense to them. They just can't understand it. Does that mean we shouldn't witness to people who seem to be totally rejecting the gospel? We can't determine what is in a person's heart. All we can do is give them the message. There are people who seem to be in that category, and yet over time they end up responding because somehow or another by hearing the words, even though they don't understand at first, But the the compacted ground seems to soften and soften and finally it does get through. There are people like that. We are to be led by the Holy Spirit when we witness to someone. It's the Holy Spirit who works in a person's heart to convict the person of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. But it's no point trying to spend hours or spending hours trying to convince someone if the Holy Spirit isn't working in their heart. All it becomes then is a matter of pride on our part because we want to feel like we've succeeded like we've won. We need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. At times there'll be a sense you feel like oh, I've witnessed to this person and they yeah they're not even listening they don't seem to even hear what I'm saying but you get this sense of just keep going just keep sharing stuff don't you know bombard them but just share things at times. But then at other times there's a sense of no just leave it. Spend your time and your energy on someone else because we only have a certain amount of time and energy, and we need to be used strategically by God. The next group is the people who get excited by the message, but there's no real response. They're the type of people who want to hear about God's love and what He'll do for them, but they have no sense of sin and the need for repentance. They'll go to a big, exciting meeting and they'll appear to respond. But the everyday life of Christianity doesn't interest them. They're not interested in the ups and downs and the, the, what is often just the continual just going one step forward, one by one. They want the exciting, the fun stuff. And when that doesn't happen, they just walk away. There's no real change in their life. We need to be clear when we talk to people like that. We need to be clear about what the gospel means, what it involves, what it means to follow Jesus. So that when someone makes a commitment, it is a wholehearted one. We need to encourage them to open their hearts fully to Jesus, to not get distracted or not get put down by things that go wrong or whatever, to show them what it means, that every, what the everyday life of following Jesus means. The next group is those who get caught up in the worries of life and the things around them. They want to follow Jesus, but other things get in the way. Jesus talks about this group as being unfruitful. They're the type of people who would genuinely say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I do go to church. Oh, well, not very often, but I do go at times. And they try to live a good life, but they're not really committed or connected. They're too busy. Life's too busy and other things get in the way. Their focus is not on Jesus and his kingdom, but on what's around them. Yeah, often they'll say, I'll be more involved, I'll be more connected, I'll be more able to do more or or come more or whatever when life isn't so busy, when I'm more established, when I have more time. But that time never comes. There's always something else in the way. They're either too busy, caught up enjoying themselves or trying to earn a living or trying to manage all the activities and all the different things they have on. And what God's calling them to do doesn't rate. They remind me of sometimes when you see a lot of weeds, you'll see a little plant there in the midst of them and it's there and it's growing, you know, trying to grow or whatever, but it's not very healthy. It's still alive, but it's not very healthy and it's not very strong and it's quite small. And again, it comes back to us making it clear what the gospel does mean, that we do present the gospel clearly, that what a person desires and what God desires for them may not be and usually isn't the same thing. That, yeah, there will be sacrifices. There will be costs involved in following Jesus. And we need to make that clear. But there will, we also need to make clear that there will be incredible joy and peace as we surrender our lives to him. And the last one is the good ground. People who are eager to hear the message of Christ, who respond to it and who continue on, as he says, producing a good crop. And now they're obviously the people we want to reach. They're the way we want to really invest our time and energy, but we can't always know who this person is. Sometimes someone who seems to be really eager to hear about Jesus and to hear what's happening in our life as, as we follow him and, and, and will ask us lots of questions about the Bible and all that sort of thing, they never actually come to that point of making a commitment where someone else who doesn't seem as interested ends up making a commitment. So we can't tell. It's only God who can tell. So as we tell other people about Christ, we need to be incredibly sensitive to the Holy Spirit and reach out with the truth of the gospel in a way that encourages people to see beyond themselves, to see who God really is, to know what it means to surrender their lives to the Lordship of Christ, to know that they are called to lay down their lives and to follow and do what God wants. The other point I want to draw from this parable is for our own lives I'm looking at living in the light of the initial response. Soil can be good to start with, but if it's not looked after, it can become poor. The ground can dry out and become hard. If it's not kept watered and fertilized, weeds can blow in and take hold and spread very quickly. Rocks which were hidden under the surface can come, you know, poking up and end up affecting the plants, and it makes it hard for the plants to grow. Even though we may have made a genuine response to Christ, we need to continue to live in it. We need to continue to cultivate the soil of our heart to see fruit produced. If you've tried growing a vegetable garden, you know it's hard work. On the rare occasions that I have tried that over the years, I get to the point where I think, it's so much easier just to go to the shop so much easier. And I think it would be cheaper too by the time I do all this, you know, fixing up the soil, getting the, you know, the seedlings, whatever it is, and then looking after them. I think it would be so much easier. But yeah, for if you're trying to grow vegetables, it's not just a matter of preparing the garden bed and planting and then just sitting back and taking it easy. It involves continual work, watering, feeding, protecting the plants from insects, from too much sun or from frost, pulling out weeds before they have a chance to take a hold. Yet despite the work, it is rewarding when you see the vegetables growing strongly, when you see the harvest that your work has produced. But you have to be prepared to put that work in. As I said, you can't just plant them and go, oh, well, they're right now, they can look after themselves. Because if you do that, and I've tried that actually, it doesn't work. (laughs) You don't get much of a crop if you take that sort of viewpoint. You really need to look after it and continually, it's a continual thing of looking after the vegetables, of protecting them and so on. In the book of Galatians, Paul talks a lot to a group who were struggling to keep on living in the freedom and truth of the gospel. In Galatians 5.7, he says, "'You are running a good race. "'Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth?' In verse 16, he tells them, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And in verses 22 and 23, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit we should be producing in our lives as we follow Jesus. We should be continually searching our heart and seeing if that fruit is going forward. It's a good idea to examine ourselves regularly. Just as with the vegetable garden, you'll go out and you'll have a look and make sure the veggies aren't getting eaten by some insects or that the weeds aren't there. And you'll do what you need to to protect them. So we need to examine ourselves regularly to make sure that we are living in the way that God wants. Are we feeding on the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's leading? Are we watering our life? through connection with other Christians? Are we getting caught up with the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth? I doubt any of us here thinks we're too wealthy, but is the need to make a living causing us to become distracted from doing what God wants? Are the different things that we face every day, the problems, the responsibilities, drawing our focus away from God and his word, forgetting that God has said to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Are trouble or persecution because of the word causing us to compromise our beliefs? Are we becoming too comfortable with this world, forgetting that it is only temporary? It can be easy to be swayed by what we see and hear, by what other people are saying and doing, even without realising the impact that has on us. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be considered weird. You you don't want to be that person everyone in your workplace knows as that weird Christian over there, so make sure you don't sit next to them at lunch. We just want to fit in. Yet we need to get rid of any weeds and thorns in our lives that threaten the health of the harvest we should be producing for God. We need to continue to seek God, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, to do as it says in Romans 12.2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. All that involves action on our part. They're all words of action. Don't conform, transform, renew, test, approve. Just as we have to be active in growing plants. So we have to be active in making sure our life is producing the fruit that God wants. Are you mindful of what you need to do and what you need to avoid to grow strong in your Christian life? Are you letting the Holy Spirit search your heart and mind and show you what needs to change, what way you need to go? We need to be continually living in the way God shows us, doing each day what we need to do to produce the fruit that brings glory to God. We need continually let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts, direct us, shape us, show us, so that we can do what brings fruit to God. And we do this by making sure that we keep Jesus at the forefront of our lives, that every thought and every action is subject to his Lordship. And we do this today by remembering his sacrifice, because our sins are forgiven and we have peace with God through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are free to live in a way that brings God a harvest and, pra- and a harvest of praise and glory, a harvest that is pleasing to God, that glorifies Him, that exalts His name, that shows who He is. So take your communion emblems because we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us Because when we remember that, what God calls us to do, to live following him, is not that big an ask, really. It's not that big a sacrifice to give up something so that we can live in a way. Because the way that God wants us to live is the best way for us. It's the way that gives us peace. It's the way that gives us joy. It's the way that gives us true life. And we can do that because of what Jesus has done. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. He said to eat this in remembrance of him. So let's eat together. And Jesus, at the last supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He said to when you drink this, remember him. Remember his sacrifice that his blood was poured out for our sakes. So let's drink together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that your body was broken for us, your blood was shed for us, that on the cross your death gave us life, that your resurrection showed that you had overcome the power of sin and death. We no longer need to fear that, And, Lord, when you call us to follow you, when you call us to lay down our lives and so that we pick up the life of Jesus, that we take on his yoke, that we take on his lordship, that we take on the way to go. And, Father, I pray for each of us that we will be so attuned to the Holy Spirit speaking to us, that we will know the way to go, that we will know the things to do, that we will be willing to give up that which is unfruitful, that which would cause us to be drawn away from you, Lord God, that we will make sure that this soil of our heart is continually refreshed and continually stirred up so that we are able to bring a harvest, that the good seed that is there will continue to grow strongly, Lord God, that we bring a harvest for You. And Father, I pray for those around us who are reaching out to, Lord. Give us supernatural wisdom in how to reach those around us, friends, family, Lord, neighbours, workmates, people that we want to see, Lord, in Your Kingdom. Lord, really show us who we should be reaching out to and show us the words to speak and the things to share so that they too will have that seed go deep in and bring forth an incredible harvest in their life too, Lord. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Be with each one this day, Lord. Amen.